through temptation uh, by Satan in the wilderness. Uh, and you know, one of the things I love uh, about the way Luke's gospel starts Jesus' earthly ministry uh, is just that it shows us that, that in everything Jesus does, he's always, always showing us the way forward. And so Jesus is, is tempted by the, the devil, but he does not get into him. And then in verse 14 in Luke 4, it says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You know, we don't like the tests when they come. We put the unleaded in the diesel tank, but, but even the test of life, you know, God can refine us and transform us uh, and help us uh, to be more like Jesus as we pass uh, those temptations and tests in life and overcome, we're stronger on the other side. And Jesus here, he's been through a 40-day fast and a 40-day trial with the devil himself, but he returns in verse 14 in the power of the Spirit. And so that is exciting for us as we put into practice what he demonstrates there by overcoming temptation uh, and rising above it. We are empowered by God. We're not weak in the end of that. We're actually quite strong. So Jesus in this great power, it says the news starts to spread about him through the whole countryside there in Galilee where he grew up. And in verse 15, as we read on, it says he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And so we're reminded, uh, uh, based on what we read uh, last uh, Sunday, and, and really where we're going to go next year uh, today, that, that when we, we submit ourselves to God, we can resist the devil, as it says in James 4, verse 7. And in the end, the devil will flee from us. We won't have to run from him, he'll run from us. When we walk that closely with our God. And that's the, the image and the example that Jesus gives us here as he starts his ministry um, in Luke chapter 4. And so we'll read on here in verse 16. It says, He went. To Nazareth. He went to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The strength of the Lord was on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, to this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you heard that you had done in Capernaum. Verse 24, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet was accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zephyr, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy, in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in verse 28 in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, and there to throw him off the cliff. But, verse 30, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So Jesus uh, uh, launches his earthly ministry here with great power in Galilee. So, and so it begins the greatest story, the greatest story ever told uh, the, the, the earthly life and ministry of Jesus 
of Nazareth. And so it begins, uh, it, and it begins very good. It begins very good, and of course, by the end of the story here, it starts to not go so well. Um, you know, it's 2017, right? We all know that. We're aware of that fact. Um, and we're 43 days in. 43 days in uh, to 2017. You know, how's it going in the beginning of your year? And we get to see here, uh, you know, Jesus begins. Now he began his ministry. Uh, and I believe we can learn a lot uh, in our Christian walk from this passage. And also, this would be a great time to evaluate how 2017 uh, is going so far for us. Uh, uh, as it says here, Jesus returns from the, from the wilderness to Galilee. Galilee is the northernmost province uh, of, of Israel at that time. Um, and so Jesus uh, was from the city of Nazareth there, which is, uh, which is on the map here. Uh, you can see right there kind of in the middle uh, of that particular region. Uh, of course, he'll do a lot of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and he'll do a lot of his early ministry actually in Galilee. Eventually, he'll head south, of course, uh, through Samaria down to Judea. Uh, and he'll have some ministry uh, in Jerusalem um, as well. Uh, the, the word Galilee comes from the Hebrew word Galil. Uh, and it, and it, li- it li- literally means circle in Hebrew. And as you can see, uh, Galilee was surrounded by non-Jewish, uh, non-Jewish influences. Uh, the, the, the Phoenician Empire, the Syrian Empire, uh, these are Greek empires. Uh, and so, so, so the, the Galileans were really kind of known uh, to be a bit different amongst the Jews. Uh, they were known for a cruder dialect. Uh, you recall that Peter is recognized for his dialect after he, uh, Jesus is arrested. And one of the servant girls recognizes the way he talks and thinks that he's one of those Galileans, right? Uh, and so they had a cruder dialect, and, and, and because they were surrounded by all these pagan nations for so long, they were kind of like on the, on the tip of Israel geographically in the north, kind of like the Scottish Highlands or something, right, in the UK. Uh, but because they were influenced uh, you know, for thousands of years by these other nations, uh, the Jews looked down upon the Galileans you know, a little bit as well, and didn't consider them quite as strong as those further south. Um, and uh, so, so, so they didn't always have the best reputation, uh, the people that Jesus uh, literally came from geographically. And you can recall uh, when, uh, when, when uh, Philip uh, comes to get his friend Nathaniel, one of the early disciples of Jesus, right? And, and as he calls uh, Nathaniel to meet Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And so Nathaniel, we know uh, from, the, from the gospel, was from Bethsaida, which is one of the, one of the rival towns, if you, if, if, if you want, there um, in Galilee. And so perhaps that was rival town talk. Uh, but the answer to that question is in a resounding yes. Something really good came from Nazareth. It was Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we can answer that question with a very positive affirmation, uh, of course, today. And so here in Nazareth, Jesus in his hometown preaches his first public sermon in the synagogue. Uh, the synagogue uh, was a place of teaching. Uh, when ten or more Jewish families lived in any area, uh, they were required by their customs to have a synagogue there. Um, and in the synagogue, um, they'd have a service uh, the first day of every week, and an attendant would run that particular service. And it consisted of three parts a time of prayer, uh, a reading of different scriptures, and they had different scrolls uh, you know, in that particular synagogue, a library of scrolls from the Old Testament. And so different scrolls would be selected by the attendant to be read. Um, and then uh, if there was a distinguished person among them or a rabbi, they would be asked to discuss the scriptures that were read uh, by the attendant. Um, and so it's likely here, uh, uh, based on uh, what Jesus, uh, he, he's given the scroll of Isaiah to read uh, by the attendant. He unrolls it and he selects 
Um, Isaiah 61 here, uh, verses 1 through 2, uh, which shows up in Luke 4 here, 20 uh, to 22. And so Jesus reads the scroll. Uh, he's already building this momentum. Uh, news had been spreading about him everywhere, so it's not surprising uh, that the attendant allowed Jesus to read the scroll, although they weren't, of course, sure of who he was yet at this point, of course. Um, and so Jesus uh, sits down after you, you, you read the scroll. Uh, you would sit down as a rabbi and you would then teach people. So Jesus sits down uh, in verses 20 uh, to, to 21. And in verse 22, the initial response is awesome. All spoke well of him, right? And they were amazed. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then right after that, they say, wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? So you start to see a little bit of dissent there, right? As they're thinking, Joseph, we know, was a carpenter. And they're starting to try to figure out how did this guy get all this learning and understanding? And why are we listening to him now teach us? And, and so the first part of the sermon, they love. By the end of the second point in the sermon, they want to throw him off the cliff. And so there's this great shift, right, that occurs uh, here in the story uh, where Jesus, he starts well here with these guys in Nazareth, but it ends uh, quite the opposite. And isn't that always the world's dilemma with Jesus? Talk to anybody about Jesus initially, and everyone has, has nothing but good things to say about him. Oh, yeah, he's a great moral teacher. Oh, yeah, he, he helps people have a nice moral framework. And, oh, Jesus, yeah, he was a good man, etc., etc. But, but once Jesus starts to draw into our lives, and starts to not just give us some grace, but also some truth, then we kind of start to push back a little bit. And you see that going on here uh, with the people in his hometown. So we can go from an initial awesome to I don't know quite quickly when we start to let Jesus into our lives. And that's still a challenge uh, to this day. But what's awesome is when we read the Gospels, we can go from I don't know to I do know and believe that he is who he said he was. And Jesus' greatness, you know, it doesn't need me to talk about it. It doesn't need me to preach about it today. You can already see it in history. If you look at, at just the span of human history as it's recorded, you know, who has impacted the world more than Jesus? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is about this guy, Philip Schaaf. Maybe you can read it, maybe you can't. I'll read it to you here. Uh, he talks about this impact that Jesus, this man from this little town in Nazareth, uh, this little backwards part of Israel, uh, came from. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the elements of school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Whoa. And we're just, we're, we're, we're beginning, we're beginning to dive into that man's ministry here. And you think about what this man Philip Shade says, he was, of course, a believer. And Jesus, he's a theologian and a church historian. But it's very true. It's very true. Jesus' ministry in just three years, he's about 30 years old, Luke says, when he starts his ministry. We just read that previous uh, in chapter 4. In just three years, in just three years with no advantages at all, none whatsoever. As a matter of fact, his birthplace and where he came from, you would say would be a disadvantage. 
as far as him having great influence in Israel, as we just talked about uh, his origins. Despite all that, Jesus' life would become a drop of water, a drop of water in an ocean of humanity and history that will set off a tsunami, a literal tsunami in the rest of the history of the world that will change it forevermore. It's inexplainable, inexplicable, uncomprehendable how somebody with this kind of background and these kinds of humble origins could impact the world the way this man has. And this is one of the many things we can look at and just say, well, he must have truly been who he said he was, the Son of God. Amen? And so as we study Luke, you know, we, we get to see these good and beautiful beginnings here in Luke chapter 4. And so let's look at what Jesus does here and how he starts, and let's see what we can learn about it for our lives, and even for the beginning of our career here together uh, in 2017. I think there's two things that really stand out to me that are really foundational things in Jesus' earthly ministry that allow him to have such an impact on the world even today. The first here is good habits. You know, Jesus, he had some good habits. There are certain patterns or habits as you study Jesus' ministry, and, and, and a couple of them stand out here that I think we can really uh, learn from. Um, we already saw this in Luke, uh, you know, earlier. Uh, Luke chapter two, verse forty-nine. Uh, you recall he was twelve years old. Uh, he was at the temple, and, they, and his parents left him accidentally, and they come back to get him, startled three days later. And, and Jesus says, "Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?" Uh, again, uh, Luke four, uh, verse fifteen. Uh, here in the text it says that he was teaching in the synagogues and everyone was praising him. Uh, in chapter uh, 16 it says he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth as was his custom. As was his custom. At the end of chapter 4 he'll go to Capernaum and where will he be? He'll be in the synagogue again. He'll be in the synagogue again. And so it's clear right away in Jesus' earthly ministry that he made it a habit. To go where God's people gathered. When God's people were gathering, Jesus he made a habit to be there. As was his custom. In verse 16, uh, he goes to the synagogue. You know, 2017, uh, it may be good or bad um, in the end. That's not only based on economy, health, school, chance. But the good or bad habits we as Christians develop spiritually. At the end of the day, that's what's really going to make a break this year for us. And today I want to commend all of you for a good habit, spiritually speaking. You're here at church, you know, worshiping together, fellowshiping with one another, uh, learning from God's Word. That, that is a good habit. Uh, and Jesus, He exemplified that habit right here already. Uh, just in Luke chapter 4, when God's people gathered, Jesus, He went there to be with God's people. Uh, of course, today uh, we would consider that our, our church attendance, right? It's an off-quoted uh, scripture that we're very familiar with. And our fellowship is Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. It says that, that we should consider, and this is a universal call to the church, we should consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not getting up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, why should we show up when the church uh, meets? Well, it says here, so we can, so we can first of all, consider how to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Well, you know, I don't know if I like that, and I don't know if I like this. That's not actually what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about you and I showing up see how we can spur each other on. I should show up here and say, how can I encourage my brother Jeff? Right? How can I, should I encourage my sister Prisca? 
important. That's part of, of why I'm here. But more importantly, I'm called by God to be a brother to the church when I walk in here to consider how I can spur all of you on toward love and good deeds. And that's why I should not be in a habit of not coming together when God's people come together. And you should be, for uh, this passage, called to the same standard, correct? And you know, as a church, uh, we meet all together just just six times a month. We, we have our Sunday services. I guess sometimes seven, if we have a fifth Sunday. But most of the time, it's four Sundays a month. And then we have two congregational meetings on the first two Fridays every month. So really, we meet you know together six times, six times a month. And in a lot of Jesus' example in the Bible's plea, we should not be in a habit of missing those meetings, right? And again, sometimes life is not allowed. That that is true. Sometimes you know we just can't get out of our work and we cannot be there on a Sunday or a Friday. Um, but my question when the work makes you miss is, could you get out of that? Could you get the schedule rearranged to make the service? And are we attempting to make that happen with our boss and, and with our schedule so we can be here at, at those six meetings when we have them? But yeah, and yeah, maybe you can't get out of that. that you know, that's, that's a different situation. If that's, if, but if, if work keeps making you have to miss it over and over and over, well, maybe you need to find a different job. That will help us not make missing a habit, right? And even I understand those who have to travel. I get it. You know, I like to travel. You guys live in a great part of the world. Go see you. Enjoy you. By all means. You know, but, but could we travel before the Friday meeting and make it back Friday night? Or could we, could we travel for the weekend and make it back Sunday by 4 o'clock for the afternoon service? Do we think that way? Yes, and then travel. But, but, but do we have to miss service to travel? Sometimes, and it doesn't look that way. You need to miss service. I've done that. But, but you understand what I'm saying. That should be our hearts. Because that was the heart of Christ. I know we need to rest. People get sick. My baby's resting right now. All of them are not here. Uh, we, we have lives. We have things that we have to accomplish. And things that we have to do. And things we, we should even just be doing to enjoy our lives. You know, our hobbies and, and things like that. But, but it's interesting to me. You know, if you break down just statistically. We have about 11 hours a month. With those six meetings, it's about 11 hours a month. We're asking everybody to come together and commit to. If you break down how many more hours there are, considering there are about on average 30 days in a month and 24 hours in a day, there are 720 hours on average per month. So could you rest and live your life the other 709 hours? Is what I'm asking there. I was asking for 11. But some of us struggle because of rest and because of our lives to even commit to those 11 hours. And, and I think the challenge here, maybe should be more of an inspiration. We're missing out on Jesus. Because Jesus, he was there. When God's people met, he was there. That was his custom. And it should be the same for us as Christians. And if everyone took my approach or your approach to Fridays and Sundays, we'll be sometimes just not be able to have a meeting. Because again, we're just habitually just not really being there. When we could, in fact, perhaps be there. And amen, it's not just congregational meetings on Sundays and Fridays. It's our, it's our family group times, our small groups. We really believe that that's an important part uh, of the church. It's our discipling times. It's our life events, sharing those when people's family members die. We try to be there for each other. When it's a birthday, we try to celebrate. You know, it's not just church. It all matters because we all matter to God. And we should all matter to each other. 
And so that's a good habit. Jesus, you know, he, he sowed early. And in the end, he reaped great benefits personally. And of course, we reap great benefits still uh, to this day from that good habit uh, that Jesus sowed. Um, another good habit here in the text um, shows up in John 4, um, 42 to 44. Uh, as I mentioned, it goes to Capernaum. Um, and we see another good habit here in, in verse 42. It says, At daybreak, while he was in Capernaum, Jesus went to a solitary place. Uh, perhaps he would pray. Uh, other places say he would go off to lonely places and pray. And so perhaps he was praying. Uh, but it says that people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But in verse 43, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns and also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, Jesus was a busy guy. He goes off for some, for some you know, time to himself, and he's interrupted. The people are coming to search for him, right? Uh, in, verse, in verse 42, his quiet time was disrupted. But despite his busyness and even the interruptions, he never lost the habit of preaching the word. He never lost the habit of opening his mouth about the good news of God. You know, for us today, that would be the habit of sharing our faith. That would be the habit of, of, of being about the mission. That would be the habit of every opportunity I get, I'm going to take it. Uh, Mulligan shared about how he's, he's helped, and he used the church in Belfast, Ireland, at a leaders meeting recently. He was saying how he always had his, his invitation in his back pocket, you know. And, and they, you know, a courier knocked on the door, and the courier, uh, they got him out to church real quick, and the courier got baptized, you know, a little while later. And, uh, and I was convicted, because we have stuff delivered to our house, and I, they always seem in a hurry, you know. So I'm always like, I feel bad, you know. So I don't, I don't do it, so they don't take it. So I've been doing it, you know. I just felt bad. So I didn't share my faith, and I felt terrible. And I thought, and I thought, you know what I need to do? I need to just put invitations. I have this little ledge up at my door, right there on the ledge, and then I'll have no excuse. I can slip it to him in a hurry and say, "Please check this out." You know, so, I, so I can have a pet too. You know, I can make sure that it's a habit. Everywhere I go and everything I do, I'm sharing the good news about Jesus. You know, that's a good habit. Uh, it helps me. It helps me spiritually. To be sharing the good news about Jesus. Because it better be good news. I better be fired about it. Uh, but amen. We're talking about eternal consequences and eternal differences that we can make when we share that good news with others as well. You know, we're doing disciple makers on Fridays. And uh, you know, if you can't make it on Fridays, uh, try to get there at end, first point, uh, point 1A. But uh, if you can't make it, the class is going to be recorded. Uh, the PowerPoint's going to be on our website. I'd love for you to participate even if you cannot make it because it's just going to help you get a better habit of sharing the good news about Jesus. You know, how are your habits going so far spiritually in 2017? You know, how are they going? You know, and it's not just communal habits, it's also personal spiritual habits, our quiet times, our, our prayer lives, all those things. You know, if we sow godly habits, we will reap godly benefits. The old adage goes, though, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. A lot of times as Christians, we get caught up in good, not, not good habits. We get caught up in good intentions. We say, oh, amen, yes, yes, oh, preach it, bro. We, 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 we intend, we intend to go out and do something about what the Word of God calls us to. But then Monday comes and Tuesday comes and, and it came in one ear and out the other. And we have not, we have not changed that. It's just, it's just a good intention. 
You know, God doesn't want us to have good intention. He wants us to literally have good spiritual habits. You know, you, you want a good faith. We all want a good faith. It's not built on good intentions, but good spiritual habits. So as we are one-sixth or so into the new year, you know, let's be reminded and inspired by this incredible man, Jesus Christ, to form and keep some good spiritual habits. Not, not just intentions. Jesus did this, and so should we. You know, good habits here uh, for good beginnings. And, and second, finally, before we take communion together, good news. Jesus, he had some good habits, but he also had some good news, did he not? Uh, you know, here in the text, um, Jesus' hand is scrolled by Isaiah, and he reads uh, from Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verses 1 through 2. And so he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. In verse 18, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, it's not surprising that Jesus began his ministry with this very scripture, you know, sharing the good news, the good news, right, which is what literally uh, he will go on to do. Uh, we disco- uh, discovered previously, as we were looking at uh, uh, where the word gospel came from, uh, we call this the gospel of Luke. Well, gospel literally means good news. Uh, so Jesus, you know, Jesus, you know, came to give us that good news. And so the gospel of good news to be interchangeable words. And so the gospel is not, it's not primarily about sin management, religious rules and rituals. That, that turns the gospel into bad news quite fast. The gospel is about good news, right? It's about good news. That despite our sin and our shortcomings, that, that God uh, can set us free from that. That God can, he can, he can help us through whatever it is that we may face uh, that we feel like is bringing us down in life. And so the gospel is good news for all. Uh, you know, and, and what, you know, what is this good news? What is this good news? I think it's always a good question for us to ask uh, ourselves. Well, I think of John 1, 17. It says that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, and so to me, uh, the good news, it equals grace plus truth. It's the grace and the truth that Jesus delivers to us in our lives that really is, in the end, I believe, uh, the good news. Um, and, and what's interesting, if you look at the text here, Jesus gets into the specific areas, uh, the people that it will help, and we'll look at that in a moment. But what, what's even more revealing about this, and, and, and really just inspiring, is Jesus actually, he's quoting this, um, in verse 18, it says, you know, you know, the Lord, uh, the, the, the Lord is, he, he's on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim, you know, uh, freedom to the prisoners and recovery from south of the blind and to set the oppressed free. You know, Jesus says, the good news is all about me. It's all about me. He's the only person in history who can say something And so, not, not surprising, verse 20, he rose up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And in verse 21, it began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The good news is here, and it's all about me. And it's a great reminder, good news is only found and maintained 
If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. There's a lot of great things in the church and in God's kingdom, but the good news is only found in Jesus alone. And so specifically here, uh, you know, he, the eyes are fastened on him, and then, of course, he said he, he came to bring good news to, to kind of these four categories here, uh, Luke 4, 18 through 19. Uh, the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. I do believe this is literal. I think Jesus, of course, wanted to bring good news to, to those who are literally poor. Our, our service project at, at BCM on um, Tuesday and Wednesday nights is a great opportunity for us as a church to put that into practice. And we need volunteers for Tuesday and Wednesday night. Please see Daniel. Where's Daniel? Um, one more time. Uh, somewhere in here. Or maybe some kids can He'll come back after church. Uh, please stop for BCM for Tuesday and Wednesday night. Because uh, Jesus, he cared about the poor. Um, he, today, I think he cared about those who are in prison. You know, prison ministers. Uh, you know, that's something we got to think about. You know, the disabled, I believe, is what he's talking about with the blind. You know, those who are you know, disadvantaged because of their physical challenges. Uh, and lastly, the disenfranchised. You know, those things, you know, it matters to Jesus. Uh, I think it was literal. I also think this statement is figurative. Uh, Jesus, he spent more time uh, really proclaiming the truth of the gospel than he did serving the poor and just healing those who were sick. Uh, he could have spent all day long on that, but he actually spent more time uh, proclaiming the gospel truths. Uh, and so the truth is for, this truth is for all people. All people are in need of, of the good news of Jesus. For all fallen in one of these categories, whether physically and or spiritually. Because, uh, for example, to the wealthy, Jesus says, you are actually poor. What good is it, he says, to gain the whole world and you lose or forfeit your very self? Uh, to those who feel free, uh, Jesus says, you're in captivity. In John 8, verse 34, he says, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh, to those who feel they are too smart or too sure of themselves, Jesus' life says, you are blind. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't find it in the mirror. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, you know, this, this bad news, uh, you know, that, that we're poor, we're, we're, we're bound, we're captive, we're, we're, we're blind, uh, is it, it, really true. We're all spiritually naked before God. That, that's really who we are without God in our lives, according to the Bible. But the good news is we can look to Jesus and be set free from all these problems uh, that, that plague our souls. But we've got to come to Jesus. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're not a Christian... And you're with us tonight, we're glad that you are here. We hope that you feel welcome. We really do. But if you're not a Christian, uh, the first step uh, is really to see your need for a Savior. The first and greatest step in becoming a Christian is just is just really seeing your need for a Savior. Savior meaning someone who will save you from your sins. Who will take that bad news that we just talked about there and turn it into good news. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, that was my challenge. I did not grow up going to church. I did not grow up with really any kind of real faith uh, in Jesus. Uh, and, and by the time I was about 19 years old, I thought I was pretty good already. There was no bad news when I was in the mirror. It was all good news for the way that I saw it. And, um, and Jesus, you know, he really used my life at that point in time to help me actually see that, that, that I was actually living a life of bad news and I really needed a Savior uh, in my life. He helped me to see how poor of mine uh, I really was. When I was 19, I was going to university, and, and you know, I was, I was very confident in myself academically, having done well in, in secondary school, and, and I never forget taking my first exam and getting a, a, you know, a failing grade and realizing most of the guys in my course was an engineering course. They passed it, but here I was failing, thinking that I was smart, and really I was, I was obviously not as smart as I thought I was. 
uh, coming out of secondary school, and that was so humbling to realize that, that I'm not really that smart. There's a lot of people in this world smarter than me. Uh, I thought I was a pretty good athlete, you know, I played some, you know, some basketball in my day, and uh, you know, I thought I was a pretty good basketball player, and I remember going out to the gym there at university, and, and uh, for the first time in my life getting dumped on by somebody, and I was guarded, that was very shocking and very humbling, and kind of walked off like a little boy after that, off the court. Uh, and then, you know, I, you know, I didn't consider myself a ladies' man, but I thought, you know, I, I looked decent, and you know, the person that was like me. So I met this girl, uh, you know, at orientation, and I thought, I'm going to date that girl, you know, and uh, sure enough, I start dating her, I'm thinking, you know, we're in love, you know, I mean, I'm not a Christian, so I'm blind and see, but I think it's all going to be great, you know, and then six months into the relationship, I think I'm going to marry this girl, she dumps me for like an upperclassman, who's that a
Uh, and why did they hate point two? Well, point two is all about truth. Yeah. Verse 22, they're loving the gracious words. Yes, you know, good news and all those things from Isaiah 61. But something starts to shift. And we don't know exactly what happened. Did they ask for a miracle? Because it said, is this Joseph's son in verse 22? And so Jesus talks about, you know, physician, heal yourself. And how Sparta is not honored in their hometown. So perhaps in verse 23 to 24, perhaps they asked for a miracle for him to confirm, you know, who he said that he was. And so Jesus goes on with two Old Testament references um, to say that just because you have history or, or locational priority, it doesn't mean that God is really with you. And he gives these two examples here. Uh, in 1 Kings 17, he talks about uh, a widow in the time of a drought. And then the prophet Elijah, you know, he blessed her with unlimited flour and oil. But she was not, she was not a Jewish widow. She was a widow uh, from the, the region of uh, Sidon, which was actually the homeland of Jezebel, the wicked queen. So there were many widows in Israel. God didn't bless any of them. He blesses the Gentile widow over there in Sidon. Uh, and then he uses the other reference in 2 Kings 5. Uh, there were many, many, many people with leprosy in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. But only one leper, Naaman, the, the, the army captain of Israel's enemy, Syria, all the name was healed of his leprosy. Again, a Gentile, not, not a Jew. And so this was a tough truth, but it was biblical. It was biblical for the Nazarenes here to hear. To hear. And of course, Luke hits at this, his gospel being, a, you know, that Jesus was filled with Gentiles, and this is one of those uh, stark reminders. Uh, for sure. But the Nazarenes, you know, they did not receive this truth well from Jesus. Uh, they tried to drive him off the edge of a cliff. And he has, and Jesus has one of those Jesus like moments, and he just says, he just walks right through the crowd. Now, I don't even know what happened. They, they, they try to get in there, and he just walks right through the crowd. you got to love Jesus. He's a, he's a bad man, anyway. But uh, this, whole, this whole scene, I think, asks a very tough question of us. It's a very tough question, you know. Can we handle Jesus' truth? Can we handle Jesus' truth? You know, Jesus brings his truth to us in a number of ways, doesn't he? Sometimes it's our quiet time. Sometimes it's that sermon, you know. You write a sermon about me. You know, well, that's, that's, that's Jesus bringing truth to you there. Preachers don't do that. Our ministries do this. The church does this in our life, our marriages, our families, even our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Even, even someone who doesn't even know God can be used by God to teach us deeper truths that we need to see about ourselves and maybe just don't want to see. You know, Jesus uses many sources to reveal the truth to us. And Jesus' good news, it, it's both grace and truth. And, and that's really important to understand. But you, you can't have one without the other. We love the grace. We oftentimes don't want the truth, but you can't have Jesus Without grace and truth. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If it's just grace, it's fluffy, it's soft, it's unfair at some point. If it's just truth, it's hard, it's unbearable, it's just too much. Author Mark Batterson wrote about this when he said, Grace without truth is Christianity without a backbone. Truth without grace is Christianity without a heart. Grace means I'll love you no matter what. Truth means I'll be honest with you no matter what. And Jesus, he was the perfect combination of both. Of both. And unfortunately, we are not. We struggle with this concept as Christians. We really do. Um, and so what's interesting to think about is this whole kind of grace and truth spectrum, if you will, uh, from, from the illustration here. 
Uh, you know, are you are you naturally more grace oriented and receptive, or are you more naturally truth oriented and receptive? Where do you fall on the, on the grace truth spectrum in your relationship with God? Do you need more of His grace in your life because you're always stuck on the truth, or do you need more of His truth in your life because you're always stuck on the grace? And a lot of times, I think I've learned how I can see where I'm at with God is how I treat others. Do, do I give people too much grace and not enough truth, or do I give people too much truth? And not enough grace. Only Jesus is there at the center all the time. We struggle all of us, right, to stay uh, there at the center. But we need both grace and truth. We must learn to receive both from Jesus and reciprocate this to each other as well. That that is the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. It is full of grace and full of truth. The Nazarenes here, they love grace. They love point one of the sermon, but they didn't love truth. And at this point. They missed Jesus. Later on in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, oh man, they, they love the truth, man. They know their Bibles. But they don't love grace. And they're going to miss Jesus too. What about us? What about us? As we close out here, Peter Larson, I love this quote about Jesus. Much like Philip Shakes, I love this one too. He says, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. As we start to study his ministry, let's open the door wide to Jesus. Let's open the door wide to his grace. Let's open the door wide to his truth. We will not be disappointed. It will be full of good news. You know, as we uh, take communion today and close out, let's strive to be more like Jesus. Let's have those good hats, spiritually. Let's, let, let's love and try to exemplify that good news, that grace and that truth. And as we are in the start of a new year, and even just today, the start of a new week, you know, we, we need as much of that as we can get from Jesus as possible. Our life, the world, has its, its fair share of bad news. You just try to put some petrol in your gas tank, and next thing you know, you know, life is full of that. It's full of a fair share of bad news, but it's great to start a new week, no matter what has happened or may come, with the good news of Jesus. And communion is a time where we can be reminded, reminded, of that grace and truth that was poured out through the blood and body of Jesus in abundance. It's a great reminder of just that. Now we are like sheep who all go astray. But the good news is Jesus, he, he is that good shepherd. As he said in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, as Christians, you know, let's not take communion with this, this good and great hope in mind that we can have a good week. We can be good sheep, no matter what may come, because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Let's think about that and think about this uh, beautiful beginning study of Jesus' ministry I look for as we take communion now together. Let's go ahead and pray for the bread and the cup. I'll be for a word of prayer to close our time here. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this incredible beginning that Jesus 
did and that we get to learn about here uh, this afternoon as we study the Gospel of Luke. Thank you. Thank you so much for the pattern of his life, the example of his life. In his life and his death, he showed us exactly how we ought to live. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the good news, God, uh, that his life and death has brought to us, that there is hope. We don't have to live for the empty ways of the world. Uh, that we're not going to find the good news in a career. We're not going to find the good news in a relationship at the end of the day, God. But there's something better out there in store for us. And Jesus, uh, he takes away uh, those falsehoods and pretenses and helps us to see what, what life is really all about. It's really all about knowing you, God, and living a life of love as a result of that uh, with each other. And we thank you, God, for that incredible sacrifice that he made. Uh, that we're going to remember right now as we take communion. Help us to take the bread which represents his body and the cup which represents his blood. Help us to take it in a worthy manner, in a thankful manner, in a grateful manner. Uh, that it forgives us as we, uh, like sheep, go astray. That it forgives us of our sins, God. But it also transforms us and propels us uh, in this new week uh, to be more and more like your son. We thank you for this time uh, to close out our study. Taking communion together in the praise of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.